You're listening to My First by Athletes Media Group. My First is a series that takes athletes down memory lane as they reflect back on intimate moments and the highs and lows of their first professional game and their first professional season. In this episode of My First, we talk to the point god himself, Baron Davis, B. Diddy. Pretty wide-ranging conversation. Uh, it was a good time talking about what the most surprising thing was the first time he stepped on the floor. It's something we haven't heard from any of the other guys. And we talked about his career, college, UCLA days being a high draft pick, uh, that playoff atmosphere at Golden State. It was an awesome, wide-ranging conversation. So enjoy our talk with Baron Davis, the point god. Welcome back to another episode of My First, presented by Athletes Media Group. We have a very, very special guest today, the one and only Baron Davis. How are you doing, Baron? What's up, man? Chilling. Chilling, chilling, hanging, quarantine safe. Yep. Hey, that's what we like to hear. So the topic of the show is going through your first, so we'll talk rookie season and more specifically your first game. We kind of get a mixed bag when we talk to guys about this. How much do you remember about your first game? Uh, I remember a lot. I remember my first preseason play, like the first the first time going into the game in the preseason. We were at Boston, and all I can remember was like, damn, dude, these, somebody needs to turn these damn lights down. <laughs> I was like, damn, man, the lighting. You know, that was the first thing I discovered when I hit the NBA was like, damn, dude, this lighting is blinding. Um, and so I, so because I couldn't see, I called for a pick and roll and like tried to basically take off from the free throw line. And never nervous Purvis Ellison, 6'11", slid under me and took a charge. And I'll never forget, I was pissed. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yo, I was like, I thought this was the NBA. You're supposed to jump. And uh, I believe I got subbed out the game. Uh, <laughs> so let's jump forward to your first regular season game. Before we even get to the pregame stuff, I want to see out of the 10 people on the floor when you subbed into your first regular season game, so you played the Orlando Magic, how many of mm-hmm. them can you name? Uh, on the Magic? On either the Magic or on your team, there were 10 total uh, players on the floor. How many can you name? Uh, Daryl Armstrong. On the team, but yeah, not on the floor. Uh, I came off the bench. Yep. Right? So it was on, on, it was me, Bobby Fields, yep. Ricky Davis, Brad Miller, and maybe Mason so it was or you- Todd Fuller. Yeah, you, Bobby Phils, Todd Fuller, Eddie Jones, Derek Coleman. Eddie Jones, yeah. And, the, I mean, the match. Because I remember Bobby Phils, rest in peace, he, uh, we stole the ball and he he gave me the trail dunk like I was a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> First dunk. He gave me here. Rest in peace, man, Bobby Phils. He was like, uh-oh, little big man. <laughs> i never forget that, man. He gave me the trail. <laughs> On the other side, Chucky Atkins, uh, Chris Gatling, Corey, young Corey Maggetti, uh, Matt Harpering, and, and John Amici. Yeah. Yes. That's who you were That's facing. a who's who. <laughs> so unsurpri- but T-Mac was on that team, right? Um, no, the next year. The next year, yep. yep. Yeah, yep. this Magic team that you were playing this year, um, it, it, it wasn't exactly loaded with talent. 
Uh, no. They had a couple players. Did have a young Big Ben Wallace, though. Yeah, Big Ben. They did. I remember that. Kicks off with the first question. All right. So take us into your pregame, you know, the locker room, the tunnel, your warm up out on the floor. Do you have any memories leading up to tip off? Man, just like I remember walking into my locker in Charlotte and, you know, one, just kind of like looking at a uh, shout out to Big Shot. You know, he used to lay the jerseys out with your little locker, everything you needed. And that was really like the first time the arena was dressed up, right? So I, I walked out onto the floor and, you know, you start seeing dudes warming up and working out. And I was like, damn, dude, I'm late. You know, <laughs> I'm late. Um, and so I kind of got my act together, went back in there. And, you know, it was always, uh, you know, put my socks on last, you know, uh, actually put my jersey on last, go out with my shooting shirt, soak up my shooting shirt, but I wanted to wait. And it became a routine for me. I wanted to wait to put on my jersey because I felt like this was it, you know? And so that became kind of my normal routine was like the jersey was the last thing that was going on. Once I throw that jersey on, you know what I mean? It's cutting time. Was there a difference in nerves between the some of your preseason games and then cutting to the first game when this actually matters? I mean, the ner- you know, the nerves is just the nerves. You know what I mean? You're looking over there and you're like, man, you know, who is that? You know what I mean? I, I believe our first couple of games were like Orlando, Cleveland, uh, someone else. Um, Did Coach Silas was, have anything specific for you? Tell you anything specific before that first game? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boy. You better get do something. <laughs> That's what? how I used to talk. All right, boy, you better get in there and do something. Why are you ass sitting over here with me? <laughs> Other than the lighting, were there any big tangible differences between like Pauly Pavilion and playing in an NBA arena, or were you just kind of shook for the lightning for the lighting after the lights, baby? It's <laughs> the lights. Everything else was like I could manage. You know, I would say when I got to the league, it was uh, it was just it was just a lot a lot of really good players, right? And the guys who weren't as athletic and talent, talented were the guys you needed to worry about because they were smart and they knew all the little tricks. I think, uh, you know, for me, it was almost like a kid, you know, uh, like a freshman in, in, in high school, right? Uh, you walking in, you don't know what to expect. You got jitters, you got butterflies in your stomach you know what I mean like you don't know whether to eat if you gotta use a bathroom like you just confused you know what I mean and so I never forget uh Eddie Jones uh shout out to Eddie Jones he was like yo man I'm picking you up and I'm gonna show you how to do a routine and so Eddie Jones you know shout out to Eddie Jones he was the one who actually taught me how to have a pregame routine right because he was like man I don't even go out and shoot to like you know, 40 on the clock, go give me a hundred shots and I'm good. You know, cause he was like, yo, you've been out here. All, cause when I, when I would go to the gym, I'd be out there two hours before the game and been on workout. <laughs> 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 you 
He was like, man, damn, dude, just go get you like 30, 45 minutes in and then go sit your ass down. So did that routine become what you what you carried with you that through the rest of your routine. career? That became, yes, that became what I built off of, right? Once I was able to get to like an Eddie Jones type status. Because when you're a rookie, you kind of come out early and get all your work. And, you know, you usually doing work with other rookies so it's like four or five of you you know what i mean and free uh and like free agent rookies and so in order to really get some work you got to beat them so you can get your work right because right after the rookies then the vets start coming and so eddie jones you know he just taught me you know how to build my routine so when i am a vet right it's something i can rely on every uh every game so that first game you played 25 minutes uh did you expect to play more or less going into that first game uh, I don't even remember, but I should probably always should have played more. <laughs> Based you know on how I things mean? unfolded, that seems roll. like a... we was rocking and rolling till they brought till they took us out. Yeah, and we win that game. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You won the game a uh, hundred to eighty six. Uh, what did I finish with? All right, so Baron Davis six played twenty five minutes. You shot three of six from the floor, one of three from three, two of two from the line. You had nine points. Five boards, two assists, two steals, three turnovers, three fouls. That's a well-rounded you, line. You were a plus 10 on the night. Goddamn right. I was acting. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Do you remember anything about your matchup, or was anybody yapping that first night? I mean, like I said, their well, roster wasn't much. but No, I wasn't. I was just out there trying to get it. Was Grant Hill on that team? I don't think so. Doesn't look like it. That no. team was no. Bo Outlaw, Daryl Armstrong, Michael Doliak. Uh, nope. Pat Garrity, John Amici, Matt Harper. Yeah, Monty Williams. Yeah, Monty Williams played. Monty Williams was on 19 that team. minutes. Yep. Their leading scorer on the night was Chris Gatling, followed by Daryl yep. Armstrong. Not so much this first game, but but through your rookie season, were there there any wow? I'm on the floor with so and so moments for you. Uh, Nick Van Axel, honestly. Oh, Nick, yeah. So crazy enough, when I was in, you know, when Nick was with the Lakers, uh, I used to go up to UCLA to watch the pros play. And, you know, uh, I wasn't like a high recruit or anything like that. I was just a local kid. And so all the top recruits would get a chance to play, right, and play with the pros. And so, you know, a whole summer go by, I don't get to play. You know, and then the next summer come by, they start, you know, allowing me to kind of like shoot after in the gym. And Nick Van Exel said, hey, bro, hey, hey, bro, you want to play one on one? I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, I want to play one on one, dude. And, you know, not that he was taking me seriously, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, he I played one on one against him. Right. And he was like really like the first pro to be like, oh, like, this dude, all right. You know what I mean? And, and from that moment, I started getting a chance to play <laughs> with the pros. At, How'd the game go? Like, How'd the one-on-one go? You force him right? <laughs> no, no, he, no, he had to go to the next game. It was, like, in between, so he was going to go to five. But I was up 3-2. But I remember when I hit a shot, he looked at me like, okay, you all right. <laughs> uh, John Stockton was another one. Jason Kidd was another one. Tim Hardaway. Uh, even though Tim Hardaway elbowed me in the playoffs uh, on the very first play of the game, I wasn't feeling that uh, at all. Did you clap back at him? Yeah, huh? Did you did you get him back or no? 
man, what you think? <laughs> I mean, basketball, yeah. Basketball-wise, I did, but, you know, I hit him back. I know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm a well, big speaking, speaking of hitting, I, I was listening to an interview of yours, and I recall a story about Steve Kerr hitting threes and uh, yeah. Derek Coleman not being too fond of this. Can you tell that story? Yeah, man, it was just, you know, we was getting blown out. We was getting blown out in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, the bench come in and, like, they running up the score. So they ran on another run. And Coach was like, man, what are y'all doing? Y'all, None of y'all want to play today. And Derek Coleman said, hey, man, he whispered in my ear. He said, bro, John Stockton hit another three. I'm going to whoop your ass. I'm like, why me? <laughs> I don't care. Let him hit another three. And I was like, oh, shit, man. Here we go with this, right? Because, you know, you're on a long road trip. we getting our ass whooped up. <laughs> go back in the game, dude. I see Steve Kirk. I try and take him to the hole. Go to the hole. Nice layup. Miss. Oh, my God. Steve Kerr is leaking out on the other end. I jump, run, all the way. Track him down, he get the ball, pump fake. I go flying damn near all the way to the bench. One dribble, pop, three. Come back down, they steal the ball, swing, swing. You know, San Antonio, Steve Kerr, three. So after the game, I'm sitting in my locker. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and he moved so he moved so fast. It was almost like pooty tag. <laughs> he hit me so hard, dog. I was just like... All I could do is be like, damn, dude, this shit, like, damn, this shit hurt. <laughs> and he's no puppy. <laughs> Ain't nothing you can do. <laughs> what you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about some of the, the, the outfits the guys are wearing these days to to the arena? Like Russ. Uh, you know, I love it because, you know, once they kind of uh, came with the, uh, the, rule, the rule change, I was like, oh, that means you can actually, like, People are going to have to hire stylists and you can rock whatever you want. So, you know, I like breaking rules. And so when they had the dress code, it was like finding out every single thing that I could wear that would not violate the dress code or pushing the limit, pushing the edges. And, you know, at the time I was like big into fashion and going to fashion week and all that. So, uh, you know, I was just stealing ideas and shit and just kind of like put my own twist to it. But, you know, now you see the evolution of just, like, what that did. You know, guys dressing up in the dress code and, then, you know, this younger generation, you know, living that and coming up and knowing the fashion and, know, you know, knowing the designers and, you know, they dictating the market right now. So, you know, shout out to all the dudes, you know, with how they dress. They, you know, I always said, like, the way you dress defines who you are and your personality is another part of your brand and personality. And that's why I always tried to stand out. You know, with just kind of how I dress or my style or, you know, it's just like, you know, just trying to be as, as as original to me as possible. Big part of your style, the beard that you had the beard going way before it was popular. I feel like you had a had a big to do with it come, with coming back into to Vogue. How did how did that become your go to look? Uh, I was hurt. And I was in Vancouver, and I was working out with some hockey guys. Oh, and they were snagging to, you know, they were snagging <laughs> to had beer. I was like, "Yo, what, what the fuck wrong with y'all, man?" They was like, "Man, that's how we grind, playoff time." And I was <laughs> like, like, "Oh, okay, cool. I'm gonna grow, I'm gonna grow my beard out too." 
And so when I was rehabbing and getting ready to come back for uh, one of the seasons, I believe 2005 or something like that, uh, or 2003, uh, I just grew my beard. And, I, and before I was just pretty much like goatee, pretty clean shaven. And when I came back, people were like, yo, what's up with you, dog? Like, you look, <laughs> you look crazy. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I am focused, dude. I got, I got one purpose. And so being a young dude at, you know, 22, 23, start rocking a beard, people just start, like, really paying attention to it. So let's fast forward to your first road game. It was in the New Garden in Boston, going against Paul Pierce, Kenny Anderson, Anton Walker. Is there any additional nerves when you're going on the road? Or is it at that point you had the preseason under your belt and you had a couple games, you were good to go? And, and you know, from your area, Paul Pierce, that had to be a little extra special. Yeah, so it was great to, like, man, like, to be on the court with Paul, right? Because yeah. I taught Paul how to play basketball when we was kids. He ain't going to tell you that. <laughs> but if it wasn't for me, I was Paul's point guard for, like, five years. And we used to beat him up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we'll and ask so, him, and we'll see if we get the same story from Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ask him. <laughs> Please ask him. But uh, when I saw, you know, and then he became Paul, big bro. Right. Because he was always older than us. And, you know, when I was on the court, all I couldn't I, I couldn't wait to see Paul. You know what I mean? That was yeah. like the only dude that really like as far as like was a big brother and somebody that I was actually following. You know what I mean? It had to be and, surreal too, just knew. to be out on an NBA. And, floor. and it was surreal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it was like, damn, dude, here we go. Kid from Inglewood, kid from South Central, you know what I mean? Yep. Growing up on an AAU team, can't really afford shit. We know each other, you know what I mean? And so when I got on the court, it was just like, I was just waiting for that acknowledgement from mm -hmm. Paul to be like, dog, I'm proud of you, you know what I mean? And that that was that was really, man, that was really it. And then on top of that, just the opportunity to play against a Kenny Anderson. Yeah. Right. Um, He's one of the names that keeps coming up on these. That yeah. Kenny Anderson was a to. beast. And he was just somebody that was just like, oh, shit, Kenny Anderson. Paul, they had a squad. And, and, and we used to battle against the Celtics back then, you know, because we had a pretty good team. So, you know, it was just it was it was it was a surreal moment playing in the garden. Um playing against Paul most importantly you know what I mean it yeah. was just like damn dog I made it do you remember your first either technical foul or ejection mm -mm. Were, th were there any officials you had problems with throughout your career we've heard a lot of names you were all, you were good with all of them yeah I, uh you know I get texts and shit because I I'm the only one that be friends with the ref so you know, when you're mad at your friends, you say crazy shit and they give you technical <laughs> fouls. You know what I mean? But the whole game, I've been talking to them the whole, the whole game. I used to annoy the hell out of the refs. Because I start off like, how's your family and shit? They're like, motherfucker, I like <laughs> So you mentioned some of your idols. What was it like playing against Jason Kidd, who I know you've mentioned was one of your idols, the first time stepping on the floor with him? Man, he didn't say nothing. Really? Hell no, he don't say nothing. He just be looking. Always, like, <laughs> looking and shit. Like, you know, I'm, like, trying to figure out what was he doing, man. He always making, like, hand signals, eye contact. You know what I mean? He would never, he, like, he talked real low, 
you know, like to his players. I was, I was, I've always been fascinated by J. Kid just because it was like, man, this dude is like communicating with his eyes to people. You know what I mean? And like he got certain cues. It was almost like he was, you know, audible and and calling different signals with his with his teammates. Did you get a chance to play against the MJ Wizards? I did. He scored fifty some points on us. <laughs> How'd you let that happen? That was that game. How'd you let you that happen? That. You knew that. Yeah, right? yeah, we knew I did. That. <laughs> you just want to be an asshole. That ain't got nothing to do with my first time. You just want to be an asshole. That's cool. So, but I guess saying on first time, it wasn't your first time playing MJ, though, was it? No, I had yeah. thirty on MJ yeah. the first time. <laughs> did you say anything to him when you put thirty on him? Hell no, I didn't say nothing. I t- Called home. They called everybody. Hey, yeah. I got 30. It was like, who? You? I was like, man, I scored 30 on MJ. They was like, oh, shut up. That was the Wizards you scored 30 on. You ain't scored no 30 on MJ. I was like, yes, I did. I outscored Michael Jordan the first time. <laughs> was it hard keeping your composure when you're on the court with the with Michael Jordan? Like That, that feels like it might have been too much for me to have overcome. Okay, so you remember... The story about the lights. Yes. Times five. Times ten. When their cameras and yeah. professional, like his people from the top row, got flash cam, big ass flash bulbs. Boosh. <laughs> boosh. Every time you come to the line, boosh, 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 boosh. Like, God damn. You dizzy, dude. It's like you dizzy. Mike was, man, ever since I was in the league, I would say, to me, Mike was just always solid. You know what I mean? Like, the shit that he talked was just like, that's what you you supposed to. You know what I mean? That's what you hear from your OGs. But Mike was like, you know, I think I think it's a big misperception about him because, shit, he been, he been hella solid. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just, you know, he like, a, he like a hooper's hooper. You know what I mean? Probably most players probably would have taken it as a compliment to have been trash talked by Michael. <laughs> I know I certainly would have. Uh, so flipping back to your first game, how many tickets did you have to round up for your friends and family? None. 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 I was in Charlotte, other side of the Man, country. I had no family. Yeah, I was on the other side of the country, so it was none of that. There was no. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like a big thing like that. It was like I was for the first time out on my own, so it wasn't like a ticket thing or none of that. I. I, had, I have too much to worry about. So what about your first shoe deal? Can you take us through the process of that? Like how much how much of either shoe or apparel or even sponsorships in general, when they come to you, how much are you able to filter through your agent versus how much are you handling? I mean, on? back in the day, you know, it's 2020 now. You know what I mean? Back in the day, that shit was crystal cut, vanilla, and dry. You know, here's a Nike deal. You've been a Nike deal your whole time. Boom, wear these shoes. So Good night. and it would go straight through you. You didn't even have to go through the agent. Or the agent would just tell you. No, it was the agent. Yeah. It was an agent broker. Usually back then you get Make a contract sneaker deal. And if you can get like a beverage deal, a card deal, then you know, that's cool. But then everything else, you know, you just it wasn't a lot of opportunities unless right. you were one of the elite. So the shoe deal was great. Nike was great. I played in the shocks. I played in the the dunks, you know, um, and then I left Nike and went to Reebok. Um, yeah, and then from Reebok to Lee Ning. So I played it with three different 
in three different brands. Nice. All right. So uh, you obviously Mr. Basketball in California, um, highly decorated recruit. At what point in your basketball career did becoming an NBA player start to become a realistic option for you? Uh, I would say when I started playing at UCLA, uh, my junior, going into my uh, going into my senior year, when I was up at you know UCLA in the summertime, and you know they were picking me to be on, you know like the young team, rookies or the UCLA squad, and so you know I had become, I kind of earned my stake, you know what I mean, um, and just shout out to all the dudes that you know, like Nick and Eddie Jones and Sean Williams and Magic and all these dudes, they just really started embracing me and like making me feel like, you know, I was the next one. And so I think that's what kind of like uh, got me over the hump. Speaking of UCLA, you had your pick of all the blue bloods. Uh, you ended up staying home and going to UCLA. What went into, how difficult was it to say no to someone like Coach K, Roy Williams, when they're trying to get you to come to their campus? Uh, you know, uh, Roy Williams, he was, man, Roy Williams is a sweetheart. Uh, <laughs> he's a good dude, man. Freaking love Roy Williams. Uh, just, you know, genuine. And, you know, he really cared. Uh, I was going to go to Duke, but I know uh, at the time Coach K. Mom was sick. I know, I think he wrote about it in his book. Um, and when his mom was sick, it just really, like, I'm close to my grandmother, so it just, like, really made me, like, think about my grandmother and being in LA and I was like, yo, if I go all the way to Duke, now I ain't got nobody watching my back. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. these people don't really know me like that. And so I committed to UCLA. Uh and, you know, who knew that me not going to Duke was gonna come back and like bite me in the ass when it was time to get a tryout for the Olympics. <laughs> and Luke Rickbauer and Kurt Heinrich got uh, tryouts and not me. So, Goodness gracious. Uh, Luke yeah. Rittenauer and Kurt Heinrich. A long time. <laughs> I ain't no Coach K fan at all. I don't give two shits about Coach K. So we've heard other players, they kind of go at Duke guys in the NBA. Who was it? Uh, Quentin Richardson just yep. mentioned. Gerald Henderson. He's like, of course, like every other Duke player playing dirty. Are you of the same mindset? No, I like, I like Grant Hill. Fucking love Grant Hill. Love Jason Tatum. I think this new class. Love Corey Maggetti. You know, some of them dudes are straight suckers, but, you know, it is what it is. No names? No names? <laughs> nah, bro. You don't earn that right. <laughs> they know who they are. But not a, not a one's Duke. Duke has a program. It turned out some solid dudes. I mean, you know, they get a lot of bad rep because of, like, the whole Duke and, you know, Coach K mother hen situation. But, you know, a lot of them dudes is like real solid dudes and come from stuff. It's just uh, some of them dudes just change up and, you know, they be trying to be, you know, too cute. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Too politically correct. Um, and that just like rub a lot of people wrong because it just comes from a, a, a uppity perspective, you know, so. I think you know, uppity and Duke kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, pretty synonymous. Yeah. Uh, Quinn, uh, Quinn Cook. You know, all all the young Dukies and, you know, some of them I, I do got some issues with, but not Corey Maggetti because I love Corey Maggetti. You feel what I'm saying? Who doesn't love Corey Maggetti? He's the best dude in the world, yeah. All right, let's flash forward to draft night. You go third to Charlotte. Um, were there any hopes of going higher that night? Uh, and did the Lakers enter the picture at all for you? Were you hoping that they were going to try and make a play to get up and get you? 
Man, I thought the Lakers was going to come and get me, dude. I did not want to go to Charlotte. <laughs> well, I mean, you went to Charlotte. What What if you would have gone too? Would you have done the same thing Steve did to Vancouver? Oh, yeah, if I would have went, went too, then I probably would have got traded to the Lakers. Because mm. oh. that was a part of, like, the deal. If I would, if, if Vancouver would have drafted me at two, then they probably would have traded me. And it was like, and they were. I believe it was a Laker trade that was trying to go through. Yeah, and yeah, the Clippers at four. What about the Clippers at four? Uh, I mean, shit, knowing what I know now, who knows? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I don't know if they were. I don't know if the Clippers w- would have been ready for me at 19, 20 years old. I wasn't having that shit. Could have been part of that. Hugh and Darius Miles team. Oh yeah. my gosh, that would have been incredible. That was a squad. That was a squad. We had them on what last week? QB Miles, Lamar, Keon Dooling. Keon doing that, like they had, they Candy they man. brought life into it. But you know, the owner was crazy. I probably wouldn't even been paying attention to the owner at that point, though. <laughs> did what did your draft right, night fellas. look like? Were you surrounded uh, by my family? Draft night, fifty people, about fifty people from LA. We was in DC. Um, man, we turned the club up. We turned DC out. You know, I got family in DC. I, you know, Steve Francis, me, Steve Francis, Corey McGetty. Uh, uh, Will Avery, Andre Miller, Jason Terry, Ron Artest. Man, all of us grew up together and was homies. So it was just like, yo, we about to, oh, we are here, yo. Sean Marion, Rip Hamilton. It was just, and so we was like all hanging together, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and I'll never forget, like, I just couldn't sleep, man, because I just, like, I couldn't sleep until, like, the the day after the day after the draft when I got to Charlotte and after I did my interviews, I went back hotel crash. Now you've had a pretty successful post basketball career. Is that something you always planned on after you finished playing? Uh, you know, I'm a survivalist, so, you know, and a hustler and I left my agent when I was 20 years old. So I had no way, I had no other choice. Right, I became my own agent, so I didn't have no other choice but to be entrepreneur for myself and, you know, try and learn as much as I can, try and soak as much game as I could. Um, and I knew I can't, I come from, you know, I come from L.A., so I come from a different place where, you know, I interact and meet so many different people. So, you know, I've always been entrepreneurial, and I always realized that, like, you know, no agent really was going to get to know me or define me. And I may not be a superstar or win a championship with the Lakers. So I got to figure out, you know, who am I going to be, you know, outside of just being considered an NBA player. All right. So we'll start with the eight versus one. We had to ask you about as a fan watching that, that Warriors series with the Mavs, that looked like, was that the most fun you've ever had on a basketball floor? That series? Man. It was. I mean, that stretch was like just a hell of a stretch. Uh, the only thing that I hurt hate is that I was hurt the whole time. Yeah. Right. So it's like, damn, dude. Imagine what I would have felt like if I wasn't hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that was a hell of a run, dude. And we was having so much fun, right? Playing with freedom. You know, just p- playing basketball the right way with your instincts, right, and just the commitment. Like, we were so committed to each other. It was ridiculous. It seems like those arenas were about as loud as you could ever hear on TV. Was that the case in person? Crazy loud, piercing, bro. It was going up. 
Like it was already like that. And once we got to the playoffs, it was like, oh, there's if the crowd plays a factor, like, oh, we we definitely go. Like if we get the crowd in it, it's over because we ain't missing after that. And you seem like the kind of guy that feeds off the crowd, kind of like Russ now, to where you have a connection to the crowd just playing with your intensity and, you know, you're just a dog going at the rim. And I think once you got going, the crowd got going, and it kind of crescendoed into this thing to where you did not want to be on the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I play for the crowd. I play for the energy of the crowd and my teammates. And, you know, really, like, you know, you use that as another force or another superpower. Um and when they behind you, especially in Golden State, you know, I just it just made me feel more and more invincible. All right. So let's jump to the show. I've been waiting to talk about this this the whole time. It is legit very, very funny. How did this Thank come you. about? How how did this um I mean, obviously it centers around you and in, in kind of your your um business partners and, and uh what what exact how did exactly did this come about? Uh man, I was sitting around, I was like, yo, man, I want to create my own Kirby enthusiasm. <laughs> I came up with slick. It's very sports. much the vibe. Yeah, it's yeah. very curb reminiscent, definitely. <laughs> so I came up with a company, and I was like, yo, I want to make shorts, short-form shows. Found BDOT. was like, yo, what are you doing? He was like, nothing. I was like, great. Let's uh, shoot a pilot. So we shot a pilot, and, you know, Cousin Whopper is like, you know, all these characters are based on, you know, people in my life. And everybody in my life always say, like, man, you got some crazy characters in your life. And, you know, I, I felt like this, <laughs> this is the moment and, and a time for us to take a shot and, you know, full screen picked it up, then the fuse and the Hulu. And now um, we should be making an announcement pretty soon about the show uh, with the major network. There we go. So I'm happy, man. I'm just like now just trying to do more writing, directing. I just do, directed a movie called Domino uh, about the game of bones. Uh, with Snoop, Scruncho, David Arquette, uh, a bunch of social media uh, stars. I got a little role in there myself. So just creating, 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 because I want athletes to know that you can, you know, be that hyphenate, right? We should own our own media. We should own our own media companies and tell our story and our narrative. Did you have any acting uh, experience before? Because you're you're very good at it. Like, I would never have thought that you're an actor, an athlete who has become an actor. You just seem like an actor. Yeah, you know, I uh, kind of grew up in it, man. So, you know, from Lion and Witch in the Wardrobe in seventh grade <laughs> to... <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Thank guys, you I so much, Baron. I got pretty... Yeah, appreciate you. Thank, thank you, Baron. All right. Thanks a lot.